Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss the updates on the great writers we have coming up over the next few weeks. And if you want to see photos of the studio and the cocktails getting made, check out my Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please leave a comment. I want to hear about the writers you want to hear on this show. I've been getting a lot of great booking ideas from you guys. Welcome to Dedicated with Doug Brunt. You have just gained access to an exclusive insider's look at the lives and works of some of your favorite authors and hear conversations with the world's greatest writers as they discuss their writing lifestyle, creative process, latest work, and behind-the-scenes revelations. Welcome to Dedicated. I'm your host, Doug Brunt. Today, we're with John O'Hurley. He's an actor, a singer, a dancer, a comedian. He is the Dean Martin of our time. You might know him from the hit show Seinfeld as Elaine's boss with panache, Jay Peterman. Or you might know him from Broadway, where he starred as Billy Flynn in Chicago or King Arthur in Spamalot. Or maybe you know him as the annual host of the National Dog Show, telecast on Thanksgiving Day. He's also the author of three books, and we are lucky to have him with us today. John, welcome. It's nice to be here with you, my dear friend. And today, it's going to be red wine. Is that, I, I'm, I'm amazed at, at not only your selection, but the depth of your selection. You went, you went big. Well, you know, it's, it's Sirius XM. We, we opened up the pocketbook. We got a, a nice bottle of Camus here. This was, now this is the wine that Michael Jordan and I have. If I'm, excuse me, did I just drop a name? I think I did. Um, it, um, this, is the, this is the wine that we drink when we gamble together. You've been at the tables. With oh, Jordan. I have indeed. And yeah, I remember one night him doing so well. I don't think he was ever going to let me go. It was like I said, let's go to dinner. He says, uh-uh. Staying on the I table. said, yeah, I was staying at the table and you're not leaving. What, was it blackjack or? <laughs> it was blackjack. Yeah, okay. he'd been down the night before. And I want to say it was, uh, he was down heavy six figures and oh uh, he won heavy seven figures on the, yeah. So, wow. Yeah, he was not, he was not leaving now, that Were you day. having a similar experience? I was actually doing very well. We, we were both doing really well. So I said, anyway. Cheers. Great to see you again. That is, oh, wait a minute. That's not the good Steuben here. Let's. There we oh, go. That's, hey, that's a pro. That's it. You know, a man who has drunk his way across America. All right. Camus is not. Isn't bad. that why? Isn't that is just. What I love about Camus is it's one of the most consistent, elegant wines you can have. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is that you can have a great. You can have a great wine, but 
it's spotty in the years, and it, mm. this this never shows his age. Year to year, it's always it, good. Always good. You always mean good. like the year of the vintage, or if you have it three years after or ten years after? No, 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 the year of the vintage. So yeah. it really never, it's always a consistently high yeah. level. Oh, like, I right. would say Opus is in that category, too. Yeah, every every Opus mm-hmm. I've, yeah. Well, there was so much to talk about. I hope we have enough wine for our, our conversation. I could have gone <laughs> on with your intro because you're also a songwriter. And you really writer. should have. <laughs> there was yeah. more to say. There was so much more. Well, I, there is one important thing I do want to say, aside from being a self-taught piano player, which to me is amazing in writing songs. <clears throat> one thing I really want to highlight up front here so listeners know, because it's also related to how you and I first met at Child Help, is the amount of charity work you do to the extent that you were awarded the Ellis Island Medal of Honor, which, and I quote, is awarded to a person who has made it their life's mission to share with those less fortunate. Well, actually, I, in, in, in all honesty, I'm really less fortunate. So just that it's, uh, <laughs> is, and is that wrong to say? <laughs> just, uh, there, there are times when I just say, I have not. I don't have a cent of it. <laughs> well, I, I have seen you do so many, you know, whether it's a celebrity, you know, sort of pro-am golf tournament for charity or, yeah. or the work you do at Child Help and, mm-hmm. and many other places. It's, I, have uh, my, it's uh, epil- I have your... my epilepsy tournament. I lost my sister to epilepsy, so I mm-hmm. uh, have dedicated a time in my life to just make sure that I commemorate her and her um, and the difficulty of what um, people with epilepsy go through right now. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's every year I do a golf tournament out in Las Vegas of all places. So, well, that's where the money is. Apparently. That's where apparently that's always <laughs> go where the money is. Exactly. Um, so you're a northeastern guy, though. I know you're West Coast now, but you were uh, born in Maine, uh, moved to Connecticut. New England. I'm a New England boy. Uh, I was uh, born in Maine, lived there for a while. Uh, uh, lived a little, uh, a little bit in Boston. Uh, most of my life in Connecticut. I went to Providence College in uh, Rhode Island, and where you uh, majored in theater. Yeah, well, I was the only major in theater, yes. So consequently, <laughs> when I graduated, I won the theater award. <laughs> Not by much, but I did. <laughs> was, uh, yeah, you know, it was a terrible theater school, but it was a wonderful, uh, it, it was where my father went to school, so the the, the legacy was wonderful, and, and a wonderful school. But um, it was tough in the theater. It was probably their, their weakest major at the time. Uh, we didn't have a theater to be really to speak of. We had to kind of why, use... Why did you pick it? We had to use... Well, it, it was a little bit of what could you get into? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, um, uh, to, be, uh, to say as politely as I can, when it came to academics, I kind of screwed my way to the middle. <laughs> um, I uh, yeah I just was yeah I I wanted to be an actor so badly and I knew from the age of three that I was an actor mm-hmm. that that academics didn't mean as much to me uh, I didn't you know I wasn't a great reader because I spent most of my time performing mm-hmm. um, and, and, and singing and and, um, and and doing shows uh, I mean that was my life yeah I've read in your book this the, so I have your second book here before your dog can eat your homework first you have to do it. <laughs> Which is, it's a very clever, fun book where the narrator voice is your dog who's giving life advice to your newborn son, Will, who's, a, who's like a grown man at this point, but a yeah, baby I, on but, the book jacket. Uh, but it is funny to watch that. You're right. It was, um, yeah, that, that was a fun book to write. That was the sequel. Actually, it was a, it was the sequel to the first book, and that was actually going to be a chapter in the first book that I stretched out to an entire book because it did occur to me that if I, I, I loved my little uh, Maltese there who sadly has passed. Uh, but lived to the age of 21, not oh to one gosh. of the older dogs in, in memory. Uh, and um, 
But he was always uh, kind of uh, loving to my wife and a touch gruff to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought it might be kind of fun if I expanded upon that and uh, used him as kind of the the great sage well, I remember all things. one of the funny lines in there when you were talking about those early days of your academics you you said something along the lines of i put in a c plus effort for a c plus results which, <laughs> which it, <laughs> sort of speaks to you going to the middle there i guess yes exactly right yeah no i uh, but but in, uh, you know I've, I've had a very lucky career and i've done uh, fairly well but i uh, did go back and and helped uh, uh, Providence actually build a theater, and we I will say uh, that we have probably one of the best uh, performing arts theaters in the country now. All right. You were yeah. the, the genesis of all that. The, um, I also read in the same book that for you, in the very early days, you no longer suffer from stage fright in any way, but you did in the beginning, it was and it took courage. Me. Like one of your, your close friends passed, mm -hmm. and he was a very promising guy. I mean, from athletics to academics, he just had a huge future as a doctor, I mm -hmm. think. And then yeah. he passed and lost that whole future. And you thought, I've got to seize it. It was, uh, yes, I believe in following your imagination. And my entire life, my imagination has been telling me that I'm an actor and I should be an actor. Uh, I've never thought that I should be in the NBA. I've never thought that I should be an attorney or a, a physician or anything else. It was always, I was an actor. At the age of three, uh, my earliest memories were of large people standing over me, all asking the same question, saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. What do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, I was thinking to myself, well, you know, I was still soiling diapers at the rate of six a day. I don't know that I had a concrete career objective. But, and I thought, well, maybe they were just asking me because they were looking for a better idea for themselves. And um, But finally, with the sense of disgust that only a three-year-old would muster, I put my hands on my hips. I would point to the black and white TV in the corner of the living room, and I would say, well, I am an actor, so that's what I'm going to be. And it was with a sense of disgust that they didn't know that. Um <laughs> But nobody got it, and uh, oh, they did soon enough. Well, it, 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 it took a long time before they uh, before they uh, recognized uh, what I was, my aspirations. But but I was always an actor, and I was always involved, and I would do the plays in school, like, and yeah. but around the, the dining room table as a kid, that's and, and, and yes, and entertain, and and I would take everybody downstairs in in the basement at night, and I would do plays in the basement for my parents, and just you know, mm. spont you know, spontaneous things, put up the the rope and and the um, and the blanket and um and then it, it we always did that and it was fun and it was it was just so fulfilling for me yeah. you know, well so. and it worked because fast forward to 1983 you get your first gig at a, on a soap the edge of night and then mm -hmm. you kind of made the rounds as the world turns general hospital including then baywatch and frazier uh-huh i didn't I, realize that was in your, your well i moved either. at one point i was in new york i i started off in um uh, my first show was broadway musical mm -hmm. And um, and and then I realized that if I went to night, uh, daytime television, that I could move the decimal point over one. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that if I moved from L.A. or excuse, uh, from New York out to L.A., I could move the decimal point over point one more time. time. <laughs> and so I was basically following the uh, the decimal points out there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and that's how I got out to some of the shows in L.A. And so, was Seinfeld, would that be back in New York then, or where was Seinfeld filmed? No, Seinfeld was out in L.A. We oh, shot it there. Oh, okay. Just all, all of the the the, um, the cover footage was all shot in okay. New York, but it was all shot on a little, over at CBS Radford in the, in the San Fernando Valley. Okay. So, Seinfeld for you was 95 to 98, 
I think. I did the last uh, four seasons. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Was there a good camaraderie? I know you're you're personally good friends with a number of the oh all people of them. The I, I am with all of them. There was I I didn't have an enemy on the show. I it was yeah. the nicest and smartest group of people that I've ever worked with, yeah. and I mean all the way down to the guest stars. I mean just brilliant people. And in fact, recently I was talking to the um, casting director um, for for Seinfeld, uh, Mark Hirschfeld, and he said I actually during the year especially during the summer when we were on hiatus i would go around to plays and 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 certain and, and and watch certain you know events and movies and he said i would walk there i would walk around and have an open mind to the people that would live in the seinfeldian world he said that's what i did all summer long was to collect people who would live in the seinfeldian world and so he would have this wonderful database of great guest stars and that was the reason yeah. we that was i think part of the reason the show was there so was prestige solid. not only was on the, not only was the writing solid mm-hmm. it was innovative because there were no jokes Seinfeld didn't read funny. In fact, I remember the first uh, the first table read that I was at, and um, I got up and I immediately called my manager and I said, "This is the number one show on television." <laughs> I said, "It's not funny," and it wasn't funny. And what I realized, and it took me a couple of episodes to really hone it in, was the fact that. If you played it as a Golden Girls situation comedy where you set up the punchline and, you know, it didn't work because there were no punchlines. It was about playing the scene as a drama, Mm -hmm. playing the the scene as intensely as you possible can. You look at George Costanza, uh, Jason Alexander, one of the most tour de force character actors that probably has passed through our lifetime. Um, He is um, just phenomenal in his ability ability to just enter to, to make George passionately mm-hmm. mediocre. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny as you say that I'm thinking back to funny scenes and you're right. It often it is almost like the funniest moment is someone's look, their facial expression in response to something that was said. And it you know, was like the a the passion. Whole, yeah. but it was the passion that they, they took these normal niche moments in life that are common to all of us and mm-hmm. played them as passionately as they possibly could. And that's why it became funny. Yeah. And I didn't realize that until I would say a couple episodes in. But it was, you had to, you had to get in there and just give it your drive. I mean, you're... I feel like it's having a kind of renaissance, a little bit in the ether. If I go on Instagram, I'll see little outtake it clips of the show. It is developed and, a new audience yeah. because it's uh, uh, Netflix bought it a while back, about a, about a year and a half back. And um, as a consequence, they have a whole new audience of young people. And mm-hmm. the reason is that it's normal slice of life and there's nothing in it that says really, I mean, with the exception of maybe the the fact that there isn't a cell phone um, or the fact that, um, you know, they're still using intercoms and what have you. Yeah. But aside from that, the show lives, holds up completely. It, it holds yeah. up immediately in what yeah. they're talking about and are passionate about. It's sort of the same minutiae that we live in New York every day. Um, but the beauty of that was that you have uh, people watching it now that understand it, and they're only 14 years old, and they've cut the cable, so they're not watching syndication anymore. But they do download uh, on Netflix, so we right. have this whole new audience. And by the way, a whole new set of residuals. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> I, I, you uh, could go back and play today. You haven't aged. It's amazing. Well, you know, I guess maybe I haven't. Well, but I also went into it with salt and pepper hair, so it didn't. Uh, yeah, uh, well, the, the hair thing is consistent for sure. But yeah. everything, you just you look the same. One of the things that I see most often on Instagram about Seinfeld, though, is the outtakes. These hilarious moments mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. Uh, you know 
Julia Louise Dreyfus just cannot contain the laughter when Jerry oh, Stiller does something or whatever. Was that? It, are there any funny behind the scenes thing outtake that they just couldn't do a scene because it was just too funny? The um, well, the Susie episode was always my favorite. Um, the Susie episode is where Susie didn't exist. It was just somebody was calling Elaine Susie. <laughs> oh yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. and it ended up with uh, the only way they could clear the clear the decks on this whole preposterous um, charade was to admit that Susie had died, and and the and the funny part was that when they wrote the episode, it was terrible. Um, I was sitting I was sitting next to Michael Richards during the table read, and I remember looking over at him, going, and I said, "Ooh, I said this one is a tough one." He goes, and he looks over at me and taps me on the shoulder. He says, "Don't worry, don't worry about it. They'll they'll spice it up." <laughs> and you know, God bless him for his positive. But it was a tough week, and I'll tell you, um, at the end of the taping night, which was Tuesday night, they sent the audience home at ten thirty at night because. The network and the, they still didn't have a satisfactory ending to the episode. So they sent the audience home and they all went back to work. And it wasn't until about 1230 in the morning that we had the ending to the Susie episode, which was me admitting that she had died and I had had the affair with her. And it was pretty good. Are you were you doing these Was there pressure you know, the clock is ticking because this thing's going out. Or are you doing all these like months ahead of time? So there's plenty of time to edit and get it. No, how, how quickly they were about around. They were about three weeks ahead. Three weeks ahead of being yeah. Well, sitcoms usually about three weeks ahead. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But it was uh, that was uh, that was that was the closest I came, or they came at least to in my memory a, a, a swing and a miss. Yeah. But it turned out to be a very memorable episode. Right, and yeah. they end up hitting it out of the park. Yeah. La- last thing on Seinfeld, I was, again, to Instagram, I saw some clip of Jerry Seinfeld doing a stand-up routine, and at the end, I, or he was doing something where he took some Q&A, and in response to some question from the audience, he said something that seemed to indicate there could be a new finale or a redone finale or well, something. I think he was always sensitive to the fact that nobody responded the way that he wanted to the um, to the finale, and mm-hmm. as he once said, he said, "When you go, he said, when you go to do something big, you're in trouble immediately, especially in comedy, because comedy's not big. Mm-hmm. You know, it's chuckle, chuckle." Um, and I think that they, they, I think he just felt that it was never the the way he wanted to end it. But, um, however, that being said. No one seems to know what the hell he was talking about because <laughs> Jason hasn't heard anything. Uh, Julia hasn't heard anything. Michael Richards said he hadn't heard anything. So, yeah. you know, he left everybody out in the dark, and um, who knows? But, you know, between him and between Jerry and Larry, it, if, if they're thinking of something, then um, it, it, they're really good at keeping a secret. Yeah. yeah. Well, it would be gangbusters. Because- but, you know, but let, me, let me interrupt for just a second, Doug, and I'll tell you. Here's my take on that. Seinfeld was a was successful because it was about selfish thirty year olds. If you layer in selfish sixty year olds, <laughs> know that it really, <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't, I don't really know that that hits it out of the park because I think you know it, you don't have the instant sympathy from people. People are think at one point you should have grown up, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't know that it would. 
I don't know that it would uh, work as a sequel. But. Well, maybe they'll find a way for. I mean, Larry David is is a uh, well. Show curb your enthusiasm is about a selfish. I don't and, know how and, old and he is. And he is. Yeah, you're right. But you can't. You couldn't have three of him. Right. would He's like fingernails on a chalkboard. You know? Yeah. Well, those guys are definitely keeping it sharp, as are you. I know curb your enthusiasm is hilarious. Jerry Seinfeld, I saw on stand up a couple of years ago, was hilarious. He, on he's a, wonderful. In and, and the City. cleanest, cleanest actor in the business. That's what I loved about it. It wasn't yeah. like didn't go deeply political in any way it wasn't about culture wars it was no. just like funny moments it of was just yeah, strange moments, moments of strange moments yeah. of just yeah of, of yeah yeah he's gifted at finding those and turning it hilarious uh so dancing with the stars <laughs> so this you you it was the first season i believe right the first season yeah and in the end there's a bit of a twist if i don't know if any all the listeners would remember but you were the odds it was on the national catastrophe. Yeah. Are you telling me? It shut the net. It's it shut the network uh, website down. Forty three thousand complaints. Yeah. Over the way that the final episode was. So you've been crushing it all judged. season. Oh, you're into the finals. You're yeah. the odds on favorite. You you do a, a well, wonderful performance. Here's the issue. And the judges give you second place. They gave me second place by one point. Oh. And um, what happened was that. Uh, we had one of the actresses uh, who is from General Hospital on the show. And part of the voting process was you could vote on on the telephone uh, all week long. Or you could vote. I'm sorry, no, sorry. You could vote online all week long. And you could vote on the telephone only for like an hour or so after the actual performance. So the point was that all these people on General Hospital had the had the fan clubs on online uh. so she was always winning the fan vote every week and and by leaps and bounds so none of us could win it because we didn't have and they weren't people weren't going you had to call in to get your password or something like that and nobody mm-hmm. was going to do that you know and this being the first year of the voting so they realized that they had skewed the voting in the wrong way and it was an accident that they knew was going to happen and they could see it coming. And it, it, it would have gone by the wayside had she not fallen three times in her final dance. <laughs> three times. And, oh. and, the, and that was, you know, between her and I. And, um, and I, ended up, I ended up with, you know, perfect sc- scores minus one. Mm. But they had to give her three tens in that final dance, because even though she fell three times. So it, it looked rigged. Yeah. It was it was it rigged, was, yeah. But not in not, I, and not in a malicious yeah. way, yeah. Not yeah. in a malicious way, but it was you know they wanted to keep they wanted to be compliant with the way that they had set up the voting. So anyway, that it, it caused such a, a it was like a, a national turmoil. outcry. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. so they rejigger yeah. a finals, right? Yeah, they, so they redid the uh, the dance off, and it was yeah. a two hour special, and uh, yeah, and <laughs> she and I and, and I ended up winning, and um, so you are you are the first champion of I guess you can call me that I don't know you could uh, there were people that see it two different ways other people (laughs) said she got the trophy you didn't Uh, you won the dance off and I said well I'd rather win the dance off I got my own two hour special (laughs) you know for a guy that for a guy that never really danced before that was uh, that was a feather in my cap well that but self-taught piano player who would have have thought that you would have had your own two hour dance special on television (laughs) I was the guy who went to the wedding reception and, and, and when the music and the dancing started. I took my glass of Chardonnay, walked over, and held up a wall and said, "I used to say, knock yourselves out, Shriners." <laughs> you know? Well, as your lovely and beautiful wife Lisa once told me that about your dancing, is really my gosh, he's he's the best dancer of Dancing with the Stars. She goes, "He's great." If he's got a lot of room, he needs a big <laughs> dance floor. He needs no one else on it, and then he's wonderful. 
<laughs> That's very funny when she says that because, you know, we dance at, uh, at certain events now, charity events and stuff like that. And, and people always want you to dance and they expect you to, you know, do your thing. Right. And, and poor Lisa is just going, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So let's talk a bit about your process, which covers a, a range of, of things. Um, one of the, Again, going back to your, your second book here, um, Before Your Dog Can Eat Your Homework, one of the things you said in there is that acting made you learn or helped you find the drive to work hard. Prior to that, you hadn't really been working that hard, but you sort of found your craft and mm-hmm. then you became a really hard worker. Or maybe you were always sort of a hard, you're tr- clearly not, anyone who can teach themselves to play piano is not a lazy person, so you're, but your efforts were going in I various directions I have prior. always been, I've always been cognitive. I've been, a, I've been a, a, a smart person. I know that. I don't know that I was ever a great student. Uh, because I was I was just so distracted and 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 and, and possibly dyslexic. I, I would say that I not only my didn't like to read, but I had trouble reading. Mm-hmm. And I was left-handed, so I never knew which side of the page to start reading from. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I so for me it was you know kind of not being able to focus. Mm-hmm. Acting allowed me to focus, and. Um, and I, because I knew that I was supposed to be successful, um, that was in my imagination. And that's where I began my journey of listening to my imagination over my rational mind. And I, and I make a very strong case for this. I believe very strongly that what your imagination tells you to do, you should be doing, because it's a 24-7 assessment of who you are and what you should be doing. Your rational mind will lie to you because it has, its job is to keep you walking upright on this earth and it has the fight or flight. It, it's, it's there to make you safe. Mm-hmm. It's not there to inspire you. 
And so I always listen to my imagination when I'm doing Dancing with the Stars, and they presented it to me for the first time. I went, you've got to be kidding me. I said, I'll host it. They said, no, you do it. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, because I saw it in my imagination. I saw the picture of me being successful to the point where I said, well, this is part of my brand, and darn it, I should know how to ballroom dance. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I went into it with, with that, because my imagination told me to do it. My imagination told me to write books. Um, I happened to come home from the National Dog Show um, one uh, weekend there, and I, I said, you know, I, I wrote a little piece called um, um, Everything I've Ever Needed to Learn in Life I've Learned from My Dogs. And I wrote 10 little things uh, that were about that. Mm-hmm. And I, re- I, wanted to re- I read it for uh, NBC on the uh, broadcast of the National Dog Show, and they said, it's way too long. We can't use it. It's like four minutes long. You know, it becomes its own show at one point. And I said, oh, okay, all right. So I went back and flew back, and I said, well, I wonder if I should expand this into a book. And I had mm-hmm. never thought of writing a book before. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm crossing into your turf when I say this. That um, it, it, But my imagination said, go write a book. Mm-hmm. It, I saw the pictures of the book, and I saw that this was a great idea of having everything you need to learn in life you learn from your dogs. And so that was pre- the premise of the first book. So how do you take the imagination, you get the vision in your head, how do you put that into practice and get the result? You know, speaking in terms of the discipline of the day to day, whether it's your acting and what are you doing each Ooh, day to sort of hone your craft as yeah. an actor well, that was or a for, comedian. Well, let's let's go back to the uh, to the writing now, and, and you'll echo and you'll echo me or, or uh, disagree, but it was tough. It was really tough. Once I got, they had gotten the uh, uh, the publishing deal done very easily because I came with the support of. 30 million people watching the National Dog Show. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they knew that the, the book was going to do well if I just stayed true to to my style of writing and my sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got to tell you, sitting down every day once I got that deal done and said, okay, kiddo. Time to write. You're mm-hmm. a writer now. <laughs> I are one. And um, it was very difficult for me. Very yeah. difficult. And I had to really say, okay, every day I go off into a corner of the house and I sit down and I write for four hours. That was it. I would say four hours, I'm writing. And if I did that, then I came out with success. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they're not long books, um, there was a lot of stuff that that's, I, that's in hard, and out, in and out, in and out. breaking yeah. rocks. It's yeah, hard stuff. It really was. Yeah. Um, and, and the problem was I write in a different style. I write... To speak. So every, everything that I write down, I then read mm-hmm. out loud because it has to go with my sense of cadence. Yeah, it tests the voice of it. I have to, it's, it's exactly right that I have to do that. And so I've, I've done that with all of my books mm-hmm. um, that they are. It shows. Instantly. When I read this, you know, I've known you for many years. When I read this, I was hearing your voice in mm-hmm. my head with your cadence and the, the words matched you. It does, and it's it's a lot more enjoyable that way because yeah. there's nothing worse than reading a you know a stoic stiff piece of, of literature, and it just doesn't it doesn't flow. How about getting ready for you know you win the part as Billy Flynn in Chicago on Broadway? It's like one of the most revered parts of anyone for and but you're like oh my god now I've got to go do this. How do you get ready for that? Well. Um, it, it would, that was just basically a gift. Um, I, I said to the people in Chicago, I want to do the show. And they said, okay. 
<laughs> Which is kind of what happened in Seinfeld. And <laughs> I said, you know, they said we have this guest star role. Do you want to do it? And I said, I originally said no, believe it or not. Oh my gosh! Uh, no. so there was no ad- audition. There was no audition. No, I, 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 and I originally said question. I was originally said no, but we'll we'll, we'll talk about that. But anyway, back to um, um, Billy Flynn. Yeah, um, I. It, that was a tough one because it was a lot of movement on stage, mm-hmm. um, and I hadn't done anything on Broadway in quite a while. Um, and, but it was a great role, and I in, in the role I just I, I just wrapped myself around it. Um, and again, I spent you know three hours a day going over and over and over the steps, the lines, the lines. The, yes, it is. And yeah. I and I came, fortunately came to New York here for two weeks and had a wonderful you know, rehearsal spell. So mm-hmm. it was just me all day long with the the dance captain, you know, getting all mm-hmm. the stuff down and everything and the music director getting everything down. And, and I opened on January 15th, uh, 2006. And that was the first of 2000 performances of, of Billy Flynn. When was Will born? Uh, well, he was conceived <laughs> during that time. There. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. So, so this book that you have here, let's talk a little bit more about the book. It has the dog, and the, the dog show is coming up. And uh, but I also know your family a little bit. And the book is written for Will, and it's just such. I actually recommend this as an exercise for anyone to do. I, I used to be in this business forum, a group of ten people, and once a year we take this retreat and. Each time we did a retreat, there was a project that we had to sort of work on as part of our team thing. And one year, the project was write a letter to your kid as though you're gone. Hmm. All the wisdom you want to impart to your kid. And so your book is really an expansion on that whole concept in a a big way. Because I, I wrote this so that my son would have an autobiography that he could someday look over and say, oh, that was my dad. Mm -hmm. That's what he did. And this is what he believed for me. Um, And so I I really took that to heart as kind of my... Yeah, my my call to action on that, mm-hmm. that I wanted to um, give him something that he could read someday. And between the two books, because the other one is autobiographical as well, the first mm-hmm. one, uh, which is entitled, see, I love long titles. The first one was called <laughs> Before You, uh, it was, um, It's Okay to Miss the Bed on the First Jump and the Other Life Lessons I've Learned from My Dogs. No. There, there are a couple, just to pick a couple of the life lessons. One is mm-hmm. you suggest that he will reparent often throughout his life which I thought was just one of the most selfless and self-assured pieces of advice. Mm-hmm. I've heard it's like, look, I'm your parent, but I understand there are other going to be other teachers out there. There are going to be other people who really, could even be sort of a father yeah, figure. And be, and be comfortable with the fact that there are other people. They'll say, oh, um, you know, I'm listening to my coach or I'm listening to, you know, somebody else that, whether it's an, an older person. That it, mm-hmm. And if the advice is correct, it's more important to get the information than it is that uh, the authorship. Mm-hmm. Um and and I just know that I will I will have been constantly reparenting. I still, uh, at my tender age of ninety six here, uh, <laughs> um, I, I still find people that that teach me things yeah. uh, that are older and wiser and uh, or younger and wiser. Well, that leads me to my next question. Last one in the book. Not that he's wiser, or I don't know if he's older or younger, but you meet Bob Costas on mm-hmm. the plane, mm-hmm. and you ask him what is the greatest issue sort of facing us all, and he responds saying that. We're losing our authenticity. Mm-hmm. So you would have published this in 06 or 07. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that today as oh, the main thing? I think our sense of authenticity is when we're dealing with questions of um, artificial intelligence, um, 
when we regard social media really as um, um, a day-to-day guide in our lives rather than sitting down and reading a newspaper mm-hmm. um, or reading a book. Um, I, I think that uh, the TikTok generation is, um, they don't know anything authentic. Mm-hmm. They don't know anything because everything has to be digested in three or four seconds. Right. The, the snippet yeah. <clears throat> mentality is, is mm-hmm. tough. My, my, the camus is like dried up my throat here. Excuse me. I got to get more camus to like wet it and then dry it again. Well, it is. It's a, it's a wonderful irrigator, and I think it should be used as, as, as that. And if... Ah, the sound of the pour. Thank the you, The sound sir. of the pour. There it is, the little clink of the glass, the sound of the pour. Uh-huh. Uh, got to love audio. So moving on then from the book to the dog show. Mm. Coming up, I, I know you can't reveal things, but what what can you tell us about the dog show? What should we any any well, any uh, spe- it's, species it's, to be looking? Or? It's the most wonderful day of the year. It just is. Yeah. Uh, being around a dog rounds off the edges in your life because when you walk through that door, you are the rock star in that dog's life, and it doesn't matter how bad your day was. That dog can't wait to see you. Yeah, and so we have this long love affair with our dogs, and. Um, it really helps us, I think, um, live in the present moment because their dogs don't know, you know, they don't know past from present. They just know the now. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's why dogs are so, and I think that's why the show is so successful because it reminds us of that once a year when we tune into the National Dog Show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think when you see the little puppy dog eyes, you just want to stop and, because it reminds you of the present moment. Um, I have heard that about dogs. If you leave the room, they don't really have a sense of time. And, and you leave for eight hours no, or one no hour, idea. they don't really know the difference. They, they know that. now and they know never. You, yeah. When you leave, when you're, you're gone forever and you may never be coming back. So mm-hmm. it, consequently, when you return from the mailbox with the mail, it's like they hadn't seen you in you know <laughs> three and a half hours and are running around the room. And, um, and I, on the other hand, they'll, they forgive themselves tremendously. And if you don't believe me, try to reprimand a dog for something that he did on the floor 15 minutes ago. And I guarantee you, yeah. not only has he forgotten about it, but he's forgiven himself for it. Yeah. Well, I don't think you've met our dogs yet. So we have Thunder, <laughs> who's four, and she's wonderful. They're both labs. Thunder uh-huh. is a yellow lab, and she's sweet and mm-hmm. docile and will lie on you, and she won't destroy things. And then we got Strud, who's a red lab. He's, she's probably 55 pounds. He's like 85 mm-hmm. and he will destroy anything. He opens up UPS packages, whether or not there's food in it, mm-hmm. he'll just mm-hmm. destroy what's in it. He'll eat TV remotes. Oh dear. Yeah. Wow. He's a lot. Who can, who can deny the taste of a TV remote? Huh? <laughs> so we'll need you over for some, some <laughs> yeah, uh, dog whispering. <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah. Um, are there any sort of front runners this year, or have you, have well, you seen the dogs yet? You know, the couple of dogs. Now, the Frenchie won last year, um, and was actually one of the me- one of the members of the um, uh, L.A. Rams. Um, was uh, owned the dog, the owner. yeah, and um, he's a big two hundred seventy five pound guy. And he's got a little Frenchie, and uh, but <laughs> won best in show, and um, we'll be featuring we'll be featuring him on uh, on our opening. Um, so once you've but won, we've got, you don't as come I say, back. We've, what's right? that? Once you've won, you don't come back. Oh no, another... you can you can oh, show. You, oh, you can have multi winners. We've had we've had we've had a repeat winner once. Okay, that's the first time it's ever happened. Um, but the nice thing about the show is that, um, as I was saying, the dogs round off the edges of your life. Um, 
So you're if if you're in an arena with thirty thousand people and two thousand of the best dogs in the country, I guarantee you're going to smile all day long because the, the the dogs don't care who wins. They just don't care. <laughs> they're just there to have fun. No, they're just it's a good chance for a couple of good sniffs of a butt. You know, it's like oh, it was all right. No, but that's it's it's just you know the dogs don't care. They just love the adrenaline rush of being around people. Yeah, and it's so it's a wonderful wonderful day. And the nice thing about the show is it's the last remaining benched show. Now, what that means is that the the dogs, the owners, the handlers, everybody has to remain on site for the entire day. So mm-hmm. from 7.30 in the morning until 7 at night, you have to be there. So what it does is it gives the audience of about 30,000 people roaming the pavilion wow. there a chance to interact with the, the, the breeders, the owners, the handlers, and and perhaps get more information about a breed that they find particularly interesting or one that might match up with their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's so it's a wonderfully instructive day. And it's also everybody's having the time of their lives. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, you just can't. It's like when you put an ele- in an elevator full of 10 people, you bring one dog in there, and I guarantee you everybody looks at the dog mm-hmm. yeah. and they smile. Yeah, you know, it's it's you can't help it, and it's it's the perfect Thanksgiving event too. Well, Everyone because just has it, it on is. all day, and you know that two hour slice between um, the Macy's parade and thank and uh, and football. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very difficult time to. How do you program that? You know, what do you choose? And the dog show just seems to be the perfect addition to that because yeah. it, you know, families are are brought together and they have their family dog, or families are brought together and they don't particularly like each other, but they can watch the dog show because <laughs> at least it gives them something right. to all agree on. Yeah, and whether you're the same direction. whether you're yeah. four or ninety four, there's something in it for you. Yeah. And if it reminds you of your your dog, then you know we we encourage everybody to celebrate the the dog that's on the on the couch with them now that being said too we get some of the funniest stuff during the day um people will put up on their website the videos of their dog watching the national dog show and it is truly hysterical because they'll sit there and they'll they'll watch and they'll go hmm and then the dog will move and they'll go like that right. and then one time one of my favorite was the 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 dog is watching from the couch, gets off the couch, walks up to the, the large screen TV, sniffs it a couple times, and then goes around to the back of the television to find the dog. Looking for the butt, that's right? Where, that's where the dog is. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. yeah that's oh, I'm looking forward to that. That's, that's such a great tradition. It is, yeah. And we're, we're lucky and, and, to have you. I mean, it's the whole reason we have you here in New York City with us. You're, you're here to this, do the show. Yeah, we do the show. And uh, yeah, 22 years. It's, it's uh, You know, normally I kill things after a year or two. But I've been able to keep this alive for a long time. But it's been wonderful. And, it's and the a, ratings are killing it. I mean, it's 30 just million amazing. people, yeah. Oh I mean, it, over the, because I include in, in that number. I include the uh, the reruns over the weekend. We, we actually have two or three showings of it during the weekend because it's so yeah, people, so popular. People want to yeah. see it, yeah, and they don't mind watching it again. In fact, I've always said to my co-host David Fry, "said you know, we could do last year's show over, and nobody would know." <laughs> <laughs> so, aside from being in town for the dog show, what what are you up to now? Well, I've been uh, lucky enough to be touring my one-man show. Uh, it's a musical. Um, it's a musical autobiography, I would call it that. It's called A Man with Standards, and I call it that because I was lucky enough to grow up in the music of the 50s and the 60s, Sinatra, uh, you know, Henry Mancini, Moon River, the, the like. And I use, those, I use that music to underscore the funny stories of my life, some of which you have uh, read in the, in, in the books that I have written. But I... Um, 
it, it's a very fun way to to put um, elegant music uh, back into story form, and uh, it's about a ninety minute musical. And you're touring and around now, so I where, tour, I tour, I, I'm stop. all over the place with okay. it. Yeah, I, I I wrote it about six years ago, mm-hmm. and. Um, I've been uh, touring it around, and uh, it's just—it's a wonder—it's a joyful experience. I love doing it. It's very fun. I describe it as music, laughter, and only one tear. <laughs> well, when it's back in town here, let me know. A man with standards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, a man with standards. Yep. <laughs> well, good luck with it. Well, thank you. And on to the lightning round for oh, John O'Hurley. All right. All right. Mm. Favorite book as a kid. Mm, 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 mm. Um. You know, I would say one of the few books I read as a kid was Catcher in the Rye, and I found that not only provocative, but well-written and rather interesting, because um, I understood it from a prep school standpoint. Um, So I I, I think that was the one that I read and retained. That is a great book, and the voice of the character Mm -hmm. stays with you. Mm -hmm. Book or books you're reading now? Uh, John Adams. And it's taken me a long time. That the David McCullough. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And 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 David was just such a wonderful writer. He has you know the same mantle that you do in te- in terms of investigation and and and, lo- and, and learning the um, the turf from which they speak. Uh, uh, it, it, it's it's anything that he's done, and I, and I'll include seventy six seventeen seventy six in that. Mm-hmm. Um, two of the great books I've ever read. Yeah, uh, truly, because it, it it paints the picture and the environment of what it was like to live in those periods, um, in a way that I have never considered before. Yeah, his, you know, book, the, his the, books really are great. The ragtag militia and the and the sense of impoverished um, America that was you know starting on a wing and a prayer. Mm-hmm. All right, most terrifying moment as a parent when my son at the age of ten or eleven. Got a hold of my American Express card <laughs> and started ordering what ended up to be about $2,000 worth of stuff. Wait, over the phone or was he running around to a, on the website? I think or? he was on the web. Okay. And not on the phone. He was on the web. But $2,000 worth of stuff. And I saw this on the line and I said, what the heck are these charges? And so I, I went to him. He was in with a friend of his and his... um in his uh, bedroom. I said, well, I said, do you know anything about these charges on the American Express card? I said, I- I'm going to have to report them as fraud, but, it, but do you know anything about this? And he said, no, I don't know anything about it. No. Anything. no. And I said, okay, all right, all right. Well, I'll just have to call it in and report it as fraud. And I walked out of the room. I went into my bedroom. This is up at our vacation property in Vermont. And uh, all of a sudden I hear, Little knock at the door. Daddy. <laughs> Daddy. And he and I opened it and said, What's my he goes and you could see he was just welling up. And he goes, Yeah. I did it. I did me. <laughs> and and this is what I love about my son. And he's self punishing. So he said, You can take away all of my stuff right now. Take away all my toys and I promise you I will pay it back. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just yeah, just he was just so Overwhelmed, uh, but but I got a but sense the, of right but, and wrong. But the, sure. the, the the penitential side of it, uh, just like he had already figured out what his punishment was going to be, yeah. and he was just I I I always remember that because it was just like, Ugh. but um, 
Now, if he had ordered $2,000 worth of Camus, you'd have just said, all right, let I it said, ride. That's Let's... my boy. <laughs> Cocktails. <laughs> yeah, um, you're right. It was it was the fact that it was the choice of yeah. <laughs> the items. Um, but... Um, no, that that was I, I, that was that tender moment, but it, it came with a, it came with a, a a little soft edge to it at the end when as I when I knew what his sense of yeah of uh, of of uh, self punishing self punishing was. Yeah. Well, that could be the answer to the next question, which is most wonderful moment as a parent. Well, my son has gone through an epiphany uh, over the past two years. Um, he discovered aviation. Now. He was, at best, for most of his late um, elementary school years and early junior high, he was, at best, a B-minus student, a B. Mm. He discovered aviation, and he discovered that he wanted to be a pilot, and it changed his life from day one. Um, He had the... um, a flight simulator from Microsoft or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And using your mouse, you could uh, take off and land and do all of these things. And he he was addicted to it. You know, that I can, he, he could take uh, 139 people over and look at the Taj Mahal. And it was, you know, with, with the Google, you know, Earth, it's the digitally perfect. Yeah. And he'd flip the plane upside down and fly, you know, that way and, you know, just have genuine fun with it. But it was, but he loved it. Mm-hmm. And so... As a present, I bought him a flying lesson for his birthday. And it meant going up there and taking his adventure and going around and doing the check off on the plane of all the safety, you know, the the safety uh, screening that you have to do. And by the end of the two hours that he was there, he goes, that was the best present I've ever been given, Dad. He says, "Um, thank you. And, And I said, you're kidding, you enjoyed it, he says. I've never done anything like this. And you think about it, it's like, you know, you're 15 years old and you're allowed to take a plane up. Now, obviously, with an instructor. Um, but you get this instant sensation of a different world up there and a different sense of consequences. Mm-hmm. Not too many 15-year-olds have a sense of, if I don't check the box, I could die. You know what I mean? It's so, it, it's a sobering mm-hmm. um it's a sobering sense of discipline. And so that changed his life. So he went every weekend to fly, and he's got enough. You know, he can't How get his, he now? He's, he's going to be 17 soon, which yeah. would allow him to get his, um, his, uh, flight, les- his mm-hmm. flight license. Um, but it changed his life. He went from that B-minus student to a 4.5 now, and he's taking college wow. courses. Um, and he's taking, you know, in his junior year, he's taking college courses in physics and um, uh, in calculus. And, and I mean, things that are so far beyond what he, everybody else is around him. Mm-hmm. It has just inspired him to a different level. And it's, he gets up at five in the morning and goes to the gym now. Well, and like, drags like your version of acting. You know, my or... sorry ass with him. <laughs> oh, is that right? Oh, oh yeah. that's great. The father-son gym. Yeah, visit. but he's uh, got the, the father-son gym thing. And it's, so I, I would say, without question, watching this change his life. Yeah. And he's got the rest of his life figured out, all whiteboarded. He knows he's going to be working for Delta Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going to Baylor for uh, aviation. Um, and uh, that's been so satisfying for both of us to be. My wife and I can just back off now, let him raise himself yeah. because he's done such a good job. Oh, that's great. Well, because you guys have done a good job. Yeah. All right. The moment during your audition, uh, so we, we have a little heads up from earlier on this, but the moment during your audition for Seinfeld when you thought you'd won the part or mistakenly thought you had lost the part. Well, I'll give you a third option. 
and, and that is I didn't want the part. <laughs> I, I, um, I had a series that was canceled the day before Seinfeld began. Uh, I had a sitcom on ABC. They canceled the show and said, don't bother coming to work tomorrow morning. We pulled the plug. So that night, I went out with my manager, crying in my beer, trying to take the cancellation as personally as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And Larry David's office called and said, you know, we have um, this guest star role. If you, John will eat it up and spit it out and have fun with it, it uh, do you, does he want it? If he wants to do it, let us know. And um, so, as my manager was explaining it to me, I said, "Nah, tell him no." I said, "I'm still, I'm still licking my wounds over the show getting canceled today." And, and I just said, nah, "It's not. It's, it doesn't feel right to me." And he never called. So the following morning, I got up to a phone call from him saying, uh, "10:30, they have a table read, and they're expecting you." Now, had he not done that, mm-hmm. I, Doug, I would have disappeared into a cultural vacuum somewhere because <laughs> I don't, I, 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 I don't know what would have happened. I, mm-hmm. It would have, I would have a significantly different life. Yeah, uh, I mean, Seinfeld did so much for me in so many different avenues that um, I don't, I don't even know that I could ever put it in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It, what, there hasn't really been a show like in the way that everyone watched it on Thursday night and talked about it the rest of the week. I don't think there's been a show since that no. had and that not, and high not, density, and, and, and not the ratings either, too. Yeah, yeah. or yeah. or the demographics. That's you know yeah. even even more so. Uh, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was a life changing moment. All right. Next question gets to your many crafts. Do you prefer writing music, comedy, or prose? Prose. I love writing. Um, I have um, a poem that I just finished after two years. Want me to read it to you? Yes, please. Go ahead, ask me anything else while I'm looking for it. What's your password? (laughs) That's a good good question. That that reminds me of that episode on on Seinfeld when Costanza is in the ATM booth or something like that, and they they need his password to get out, and he doesn't want to give it up. You're like, George, you're obviously lying. Anyone can see that. That was the... um, That was the... uh, Bosco. The Bosco episode. Remember, the Bosco was his... um, Right. His password. All right. This is um, called... So John is reading off his phone after he's entered his password on it, which I do not know still. I I, I wrote this in response to all of the old rock and rollers that are dying off. And it seems like every week there's a new one that passes on. And Mm. it's like we... You know, we never had that before. We never had to live with it. Rock and rollers were going to live forever. And so I wrote this. And it's called The Pipers Go Over the Hill. The pipers march over the hill one by one each fading slowly onto a horizon reach but once, and soon to be a reminder only of the halcyon days of melody and words on pages of ink that have long dried to a dance. Their shadows now long in the vespers, and their lilt left to echo forever in our minds. How right it feels to pause in passing and stand for their parade. The pipers go over the hill to a time that is not their own, The drumbeat now grows distant and deep as it beckons the cortege home, past the rows of the green ailanthus that bow to the cool evening breeze, past the mossy stone walls of Calvary where its time step earned its beatific end. The piper's moan carries long and lilting out to the seacoast where the rocks lean out to kiss each wave and warn the seafarers of what may or may not be or perhaps never will at all. 
The changing tide and the sea foam will wash clean their failings. And if you ask me, is there an end to it? I can only say perhaps. Our hope can only see so far. And perhaps there will be a stillness when the piper's breath grows cold, and a tempo of a different sort will fill their need to march. And perhaps, too, there will be a perfect silence when the music and the word are one, and the God who caused the primal note will celebrate them home. That is wonderful. I love that. Thank you. That could be, this could be the lead to another expansion into a book. You could have a collection of, of poetry. I, you know, I love it. I, I was influenced by, a, I would say if there's one thing that influences me the most, it is uh, poetry and prose because it's written to, a, a, it's written to a, tam, a timbre time. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And, and I love to kind of find it. Mm-hmm. I've been deeply influenced by T.S. Eliot, G.K. Chesterton, all of the, there was mm-hmm. a, a, a great series of writers in the late 1800s that mm-hmm. I've have uh, have made a large mark upon me. Oh, wonderful. All right, last question for John O'Hurley. Mm-hmm. One piece of good advice. You'll get I got the right. There it is. Oh, that sounded good. One piece of advice for the listeners. You have two choices in life. You can have an ordinary life or you can have an extraordinary life. And it has nothing to do with money or power. It has everything to do with the power of your choices. Living the extraordinary life is living through three elements, and I refer to them as imagination, of contemplation, and appreciation. And if you were able to master the three of those, then you are living an extraordinary life. I love it. That's beautiful, John. Thanks. Thank you for being here. And good luck with the dog show. Oh, good luck, too. Yep. (laughs) We'll have a best in show. If you enjoyed this podcast, please download, rate, subscribe, write a comment. Let me know the authors you want to hear from. I read all the comments. Thank you. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.